Welcome to Valley Lights Church. My name is Bruce. Glad to see you are all here today. We're in a message series called Worst Case Scenarios. And kind of got the idea because there's a book you can buy with that title. And it's, it's got all kinds of expert advice for extreme situations you just might find yourself in. Like how to escape from a sinking car or how to fend off a shark. And so we're going to be using some extreme situations like that as metaphors for some of the kinds of difficulties that we experience in life. Uh, today is uh, how to survive a hijacking. A hijacking is when someone else seizes control and directs the vehicle or the aircraft in a destructive direction. I don't know if you've ever seen the old movie Speed. Keanu Reeves, a very young Keanu Reeves in 1994. Uh, anybody see this movie? Way back. Someone hijacks a bus uh, remotely and if the bus driver drops the, the speed below 50 miles an hour, a bomb under the bus will detonate. And so they got to keep the bus speeding throughout the whole city, out of control, smashing into things, going over bridges, and then it eventually does explode at an airport. <laughs> um, but the, the idea here is um, perhaps you might feel like our culture has been hijacked, or perhaps you feel like our government has been hijacked, depending on your party preference or whichever person makes it into office in a given election cycle year to year. If you've ever felt like you don't particularly like the direction our country is headed, or maybe if you don't really like some of the things that are happening in our culture, the way things are changing, you might ask, what's happening? Like, what, what is going on around here? Who is driving this thing? You might, perhaps, perhaps you strongly disagree with some laws that are passed in schools or in your city, or maybe you disagree with some really popular ideas in the movies or on commercials or things that are promoted, or, in, or on social media. And sometimes when you, when you look around at the ideas and the laws and things that are happening in our world and our culture and our government, if, sometimes it feels like things are accelerating in the wrong direction, headed for a destructive end. There is a book of the Bible called First Peter, and it talks all about real life worst case scenarios. And so we're walking through each chapter of this letter over the next few weeks, and Peter had this letter written, and he had it circulated to different groups and churches of Christians in the first century, and really the main goal of this letter was to encourage believers in the midst of suffering, and in the midst of hostility and attacks from unbelievers. And so Peter addresses his fellow brothers and sisters with a really interesting label and uh, he, he calls them, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles. Now, when, he, when he's addressing these people that he's writing to, exiles is a term that refers to Israelites way back when they were captured by Babylon. Actually, you could, you could even say that Israel was hijacked by Babylon because um, God's people were forced, violently forced, to live in the godless city of Babylon if, if they weren't killed first. And so when Peter's audience read this letter, they could identify. They're like, well, we're not ancient Israel living in Babylon, but they could apply the term exile to their situation living in the Roman Empire, which Rome, Rome that was a culture of brutality, didn't care at all about God, Values of good and evil were completely flipped upside down. And so it turns out when he's writing, Rome and Babylon were very similar. And then it makes you think, well, 
What if America gets hijacked? If the U.S. follows the same path as Rome and Babylon, then we'd probably do well to see ourselves as strangers and exiles in this country. So this letter that, that Peter writes is very, very relevant to us who live and try to follow God and figure out what God wants for us in our lives. And we, sometimes we hit really, really difficult situations in life. Sometimes we hit really intense hostility from others or things move in a direction that seems like it's going far away from God. And so this is a very relevant letter. And for the Christ follower, our real citizenship is in heaven, not the U.S., you probably have you know, a birth certificate or maybe a passport or a visa or a green card. Well, you've got some documentation saying that you can be here. But you're, you know, if, if, if you're a Christ follower, this is not where your citizenship really belongs. We live here, but we don't actually belong here. So if you ever feel like a small, misunderstood minority in a hostile environment, like, as, I mean, as a, as a Christian, as a believer, as someone who really, really wants to walk in God's ways, if you ever feel like a small minority, you're in good company. <laughs> That's kind of how God's people have lived over many of the centuries. Sometimes it feels like the whole entire culture, maybe the whole world is speeding in the direction of darkness, like on a bus, out of control, it's been hijacked. And it feels like sometimes we're a small group of people in a vast empire of unbelief. And so it will probably go until we reach the kingdom of heaven. So as strangers and exiles, Let's read on. So, so Peter writes, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and glorify God on the day he visits. So when Paul writes this and he says that phrase, uh, Gentiles will slander you as evildoers, He's referring, he's referring to people who don't care about God, don't care about the Bible, and they don't care about Christians. And, and actually, he's referring to, to a particular kind of Gentile that, or a person that thinks that Christians are harmful to society. That if you, if you stick to what the Bible says, that's actually problematic. So here's a few examples of how this plays out and maybe how you've even seen this play out. So our culture says you should never discipline your kids. Discipline of any kind is always harsh and unkind. God says otherwise. God commands Christian parents to discipline their children. So those are very different ideas. Another example would be failing to use the right pronouns or, or saying that gender is biological sex assigned at birth by God. If you say that, some people think that's hate speech. So maybe the Gentiles would slander a Christian who says that as an evildoer. Like, that's evil to think that. Or another example would be, if we were to take the Bible stance, which we do, on issues of abortion or homosexuality or the roles of men and women, some would say the Bible is traditional and outdated and destructive to society. You should not follow, they say, you, you should not follow what the Bible says on all those topics. People might say, there's, there are some that would say, you Christians are evildoers. You're a bunch of crazy weirdos out of touch with reality. So that's kind of, that's kind of what Peter is talking about here. So basically, Gentiles slandering Christians as evildoers. That's what he means. So maybe, I don't know if you've been in that situation before. I don't know if you've ever taken heat as a Christian. 
just by following God's word, just by believing what God said to believe. Maybe you've discovered that in the Bible, there's a lot of unpopular ideas. There's a lot of things in there that our world doesn't like. And as time goes on, it seems that our culture is speeding further and further away from it. So what do we do about that? What are exiles supposed to do in a hijacked country? Fight back? Flee? Insurrection? Ignore it, just ignore it and hope it gets better, hope it all resolves on its own. <laughs> uh, you know the answer? It comes in the next verse and it's an answer you probably won't like. At least, not at first. Mo actually, most of the commands in First Peter are really tough to wrestle with. This is a really, really difficult book. That's why it's the book of, of worst case scenarios. So what Peter says, what God says to us is, submit to every human authority because of the Lord, or when you, for the sake of Jesus. Whether to the emperor as supreme authority, or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. So this is actually, he takes a turn in this letter towards this topic of government. And he, gets, he actually gets into some other arenas of life, like employment and economics and family life and marriage and all kinds of other things like that. But he starts out here in government and essentially what he's saying, you know, whether it's the emperor, so like the highest political official or ruling authority, or, you know, the lower level guys, you got all kinds of layers of authority in government. So he, say, he basically says, submit to your government. How well do you think Peter's original listeners would have enjoyed that idea when they were thinking of their Roman emperors like Nero, who was infamous for his depravity and fed Christians to the lions and set them on fire? And here's Peter saying, submit here, submit to the emperor. That's interesting. You know, when Peter wrote this, so this is, this is, a, real, this is, a, this is a really challenging thought to think about this. And, you know, I don't know if you, I, there's probably not a person in the room who comple completely agrees 100% with everything our government does, given like year to year. So we've, we've probably all got some differences, in, no matter where you fall. But to say, submit to the government, now, we got to learn more about this. And when Peter wrote these words, he didn't start out this way. And I can't help but wonder if his mind flashed back to the moment when Jesus got arrested. So the same Peter that wrote this letter is the Peter that was in the garden, or right before Jesus got crucified. So basically, what happened is the authorities, those in charge, those with influence and political position, had come to arrest Jesus. Evil men had hijacked the temple guards, and were using force to capture Jesus. And Peter responded by da, 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 fighting back, pulled out his sword, and his goal, I think, was to protect and defend Jesus, which is pretty good intentions, right? Like, wouldn't you want to defend Jesus if you were there? So Peter cuts the guy's ear off. I'm thinking he probably was aiming for a more lethal blow than just like an ear slicing. It's probably a very chaotic, a lot of commotion happening at the moment. It's probably trying to kill the guy. If, if there was ever a time to fight back, wouldn't this be it? Like the moment that they're, they're coming to take Jesus away. This would be the time to fight back, right? Well, Jesus stopped Peter and told him to put the sword away. Violent resistance is not how we're going to win this one. 
So Peter had to stand by and watch Jesus submit to these evil human authorities. So when Peter, so come back now to this letter, this is a few decades later when Peter wrote this. When Peter said, submit to every human authority because of the Lord, now talk about a perspective shift. It's like a 180. Peter had some personal experience to draw from. So this verse, you know, it talks about these different layers of authority, ranging from the supreme emperor down to the local governors. What are, what are the levels of civil authorities that we must submit to? If we were to take this seriously, let's just, let's just hypothetically assume that you might actually obey this scripture and submit to your government. What are all the layers that would be involved there? Well, at the highest level, we've got the federal government, you know, federal laws and taxes. Uh, then there's state laws that vary depending on where you live. Each state governor can create a little different flavor to life for public life for individuals, depending on the things that they set in place. Then you've got counties and districts and then citywide ordinances. Even more, you know, then you've got mayors, council members, police officers, sheriffs, not to mention the numerous branches of military. And if you, if you were to go camping on a federal state land, which we went camping this weekend. Uh, there's rules and there's rangers for those things as well. If you enroll at a university or an academic institution, you know, there's professors and administrative staff that must be submitted to. Whenever you walk into a local business or a restaurant or a movie theater or a store, there's certain guidelines that patrons must follow to get service there. All, all the way up from the very tippy top all the way down to our everyday life of, of us living here in the city. And all of those structures and authority situations have been created by people. Actually, the Greek word for authority in verse 13, when it says, submit to every human authority, that word authority is usually translated as creation in the Bible. It appears in a lot of other places. So you could say, submit to every institution that humans have created. Really? We're supposed to submit to these things, these authority structures that people have created. Peter, you remember that humans are failable, right? Like you, sometimes people create authority structures that are not great. The authority might even be corrupt, as in the case of Jesus' arrest and execution. Okay, let's read the next few verses. He writes, For... We do that because it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone, love the brothers and sisters, fear God, honor the emperor. So there's a lot packed into those. I'll just give a few highlights from this. But he's, what he says right at the end, honor the emperor. What if, what if your emperor or your governor is domineering and oppressive, as generally was the case when this was written. Why would God require this of us? What, what's going on here? Why would God command us to submit, and even to corrupt human authority structures? This, this really rubs against us in a, in a bad way. Let me summarize this passage with a profound concept. Oppression from the government allows us to show the surprising love and generosity of Christ. Oppression, if you get any kind of oppression from your government, it will allow you as a Christ follower 
to respond with a very surprising love and generosity fueled by Christ. So any kind of persecution or difficulty or harassment or injury or inconvenience, all of it can become a strange gift to the church. Persecution is not usually a good thing, but it actually becomes a strange gift to the church because we can then show unbelievers what Jesus is really like. After Jesus submitted himself to that corrupt human authority, so what did they do to him? They beat him. Brutally, they beat him. They put him through a fake trial. They put him before Pilate, who was a high-ranking government official who could have helped, but didn't. And then they hung him on a cross. And so even though all of that, what he suffered as he submitted to the authority, it was completely unjust. It was malicious cruelty towards an innocent person. And in spite of it all, Jesus did not rage with bitterness toward his oppressors. He did not lash out or retaliate. Actually, this is crazy. Listen to what he says. While he's still hanging on the cross in Luke 23, 34, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That seems irrationally compassionate. Like, who would be that compassionate towards the people that just nailed you to a cross unjustly? So he's hanging on the cross, and he's bleeding with compassion for his murderers. Aren't you surprised that he responded that way? How much love and goodwill must Jesus have toward people, to really bad people, to say something like that? Doesn't it kind of leave you speechless? Like, <coughs> oh my gosh. Well, that's the kind of impact that God wants us to have on other people. God wants us to make him speechless. So look again at verse 15. It says, For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. So it's not exactly that God just wants us to shut people's mouths. That's not really the goal here. We want them to see things in a new light. The sad reality is that unbelievers, people that have not put their faith in Jesus, they're ignorant. That's what it says in the word ignorance there. Because they think the Bible is irrelevant, Christians are harmful, and God should be ignored or at least not taken seriously. But then when people see how Christians respond to cruel mistreatment by doing good in return, that's crazy. Nobody does that. Responding to cruel mistreatment by doing good silences the ignorance. Also, all of a sudden, people will see us overflowing with good deeds, and then they start to change their minds. They connect our actions back to God, like, when we respond to evil like Jesus did, it cracks open their minds to reconsidering this Christianity. Look back at verse 12, right at the beginning, we read this. When they slander you as evildoers and say, you're just a bunch of evil Christians, you're crazy, you're nuts, they will observe your good works, especially in light of persecution, and they will glorify God on the day he visits. Perhaps on the day that he visits them, to offer repentance. Our good works are powerful. Of course, the greatest good work was what Jesus did by dying on the cross in the face of all that. 
But we have plenty of good works that we can do. And when we do, when we're just overflowing with good deeds, it just might soften, soften hearts enough so that when God does come and offer repentance, they'll humble themselves and turn to him. Imagine a cruel oppressor who has yielded to Christ and gets to glorify God with us forever in eternity. What if you had that, a cruel oppressor had that much change of heart? And maybe even that just kind of sits uncomfortably with you, but the thing that helps me with that, having cruel people get repentance and go to heaven, I just have to remember that I was wayward once too. I was dead in my sin, and I never had a shot at salvation until God decided to be merciful to me. It's not like I deserved eternal life. It was God's will that I should be saved. And in verse 15, we see that it's God's will that we silence worldly foolishness so that people have a chance to turn to God. That's really what God is after in all of this. It's not submit to the authorities just so you have a miserable life and then you just get taken advantage of. It's actually for a huge purpose. It's for the biggest missional purpose of why we're even here. According to the verses that we read, okay, so if we, if we are going to do this, if we're going to do this thing of submitting to our government, how do you do that? How do you submit to a government if it's just, or how do you submit if it's unjust? It could be either way or different at different times, or it could change. What does that submission look like? First, a huge theme in this letter from 1 Peter is to overflow with good deeds. There are good things we can do in our city, in our country, that will catch notice. And I'm not talking about like doing the bare minimum requirements of driving the speed limit and voting and paying your taxes. That's, that's just, that's baseline. That's not like good deeds. That's what you got to do anyway. I'm, we're talking about looking for huge ways for us to do good in our world. Because no unbeliever is impressed by the minimalist ever, effort. What really, really impresses the world and catches notice is when good deeds are overflowing, even in the midst of hostility. So some examples, I'll give you some examples of what, that what we'll do church-wide, and even some personal examples for you. Church-wide, the sports camp that you just heard about, that Mary gave an announcement for, that is, that's a way for us to put on an event, a really high-quality, excellent event for our community, that parents, um, we've done it once here, and we've done it about five times at um, the church where we were trained. And uh, every time parents love it, they're so grateful. We, we, there's a registration cost, but it's like a teeny tiny fraction of what the value is and what you'd have to pay normally. And so it's, it's uh, this high value, low cost experience for parents to, have, to connect with their kids, bring their kids some, some, some delight and experience in sports, and it's just a blessing. It's a blessing to our community. It's us going out there proactively doing good in public spaces. Another example is um, tomorrow, I'm gonna, we're gonna do a coffee event here at the school at Rio Norte, and we're gonna, we've hired a coffee cart that does like lattes and specialty drinks for a three hour block in the morning for all of the uh, teachers and administrative staff here at the school. To really, this is, they're getting to the end of the year, end of the school year. So we're going to bless them. It's partly a thanks to say, like, we get to use this space. We're really grateful to be here, and we want to bless you guys. We just want to give you free, awesome coffee and um, with just add some cheer to the day. And by the way, I, I haven't sent notice out, but if any of you are interested in helping with that, and you, if you're free during the day from about 1030 to 130, and you want to come out and, and help serve the coffee or meet some of the staff and teachers, let me know, because 
Um, I'd love to have some more of our church participating in, in doing this good to the school. I mean, this is where we meet. We should do a lot of good in the area where we are often. Um, another example, uh, we give financially each year, we give to the SCV Pregnancy Center. And Crisis Pregnancies is in, uh, actually a place that gives alternatives to abortion. That's a, that is a huge need um, to turn things away from darkness, turn things towards good and life and, and safety. And so we give, we, have, we give to help support that in our city. So those are some examples as a church. In everyday life, here, here's, some, here's some more ground-level ones for you, perhaps. Some ways for you to do good. Imagine you get cut off while you're driving. How do you respond to people that are a pain in the neck on the road? Well, you respond by doing good. I don't know how you'll do good on the road, but maybe you bless them. Maybe you just pray for them. It's like, you know what? I hope they have an amazing day. I want to pray for them right now. God's blessing on the rest of their week. Just do good. It, they, they didn't even have to know if you did it, but you're doing good. Or maybe... Maybe you're mistreated by somebody while standing in line for coffee or you're out and about and then someone just cuts in. Do them good. Let them, let them go and encourage them on the way. Or maybe you get a notice from your HOA that your neighbor complained about your yard. Oh, man. Or they, they, well, why don't you go above and beyond and then turn that complaint, just like totally redo your yard so that it just stands out and just go above and beyond. Or maybe customer service didn't treat you the way that you wanted. You're, you're trying to work something out, and um, you deserve better than what customer service is getting you. Why not just bless them? Why not the person that you're talking to? Bless them. Yield, just trust the Lord. Maybe you don't get what you want. Trust yourself to the Lord. We, like I said, we went camping this, this weekend, and uh, we had a really rowdy party neighbors, a bunch of guys that rolled up with beer pong and generators and music and all this stuff. And um, they, said, uh, they said, sorry in advance for <laughs> how the night is going to go. And so we had a, a few families were together. And so my, our first thought, or my first thought was, well, we'll get them back when all of our kids wake up at 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> and uh, you know what? I have to admit, that was somewhat of a satisfying thought. And it, this never really, this didn't even occur to me. I never thought, these guys are going to cause a lot of trouble for us. What are some ways we could bless them? Never, it did cross my mind. Maybe we missed a chance. Maybe I missed a chance to bless people. When we're mistreated, normally we want to fight back. We have these strong urges and emotions that flare up. That's why it says in verse 11, the first verse we looked at, it says, abstain from sinful desires. Those things that flare up in you. Those things that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among them. So if you lash out at somebody and you just, man, you fight back for your rights and you just, you got cut off or some undeserved treatment and you fight back, but then you hope they don't find out you're a Christian, then it's safe to assume your conduct was not honorable. <laughs> you, should, you should interact with everybody and they say, wait, aren't you, don't you go to church? You should say, yeah, I do. And not be like, oh, no. <laughs> that, that would be a problem. So, so why don't you go ahead and just get yourself ready? Maybe this week. See, now that you've heard this, now you're going to be accountable to this this week. You might get slighted by somebody or offended or pushed around by somebody this week. You might get unjustly treated, and you didn't even deserve it. That means God is giving you a chance to overflow with good deeds, just like your Savior did. 
just like Jesus did. The other way to submit to governing authorities is to willingly submit to human authority. The, the, the key there is willingly. So we, if you, if you follow Jesus, that means you have chosen to live under the highest authority there is, Jesus. Um, but that doesn't mean we can say, I don't have to obey the government because my citizenship is in heaven. And so I don't, I don't even belong here. We're not of this world, so I don't have to do what all you guys have to do in your government. Technically, it's true that our allegiance to Jesus does make us free to human authorities. We're no longer bound to humans. We're, we're bound to God. We're slaves to God. But that God that we worship sends us back into the world where he established the authorities, and he requires us to submit anyway for the Lord's sake, for Jesus' sake. Verse 16, it says, submit as free people. We're free. We, don't, we technically don't owe governors anything. We're free. So, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Just do whatever you want. But as God's slaves. We don't, we don't owe our governors or our president or our city officials anything because they're superior humans. <laughs> these people that are, that are um, officials and, and the police officers and all these people that we interact with, they don't have intrinsic authority in themselves. They're not deserving themselves. We do subject ourselves to them because we're servants of a higher king. And our king says, I've given them that role. And so you submit because of the role, not because they're better humans. So we submit. And then the last way we should submit to government is to honor all people appropriate to their role. Verse 17 says, honor everyone, love the brothers and sisters, fear God, honor the emperor. Honor everyone. How do you do that? Maybe there's some people that are easy. You could probably think of somebody that's like really easy to honor. People you like, your friends, hopefully your parents. But what about a murderer? Does a murderer fall in the category of everyone? How, do, how would you honor a murderer? Well, we don't honor them. We don't honor criminals the same way that I honor the president or my friend or my wife. But we can honor criminals with fair trials and just-fitting punishments. Even criminals, we may never treat like animals, even if they have surrendered many of their rights through their crimes. Justice and fairness governs our treatment of people because every person has dignity as an individual made in the image of God. So what this, say, what this is saying, we, we give honor to everybody. What we give honor to policemen, because of the role that they play for same with politicians and professors and your office managers at work. We honor each person. I honor my kids and my spouse in a special way because of their role in my life. We have a president of the United States and we have a governor of California. Those are two guys you're familiar with. However, they got into office. It was ultimately by God's hand. God is the one that installed them in their position. God is very clear about that, that he establishes every single authority on the planet. And so we give appropriate honor for the roles that those men play. We don't fear them. It says, fear God, honor the emperor. It doesn't say fear the emperor. So notice in all the middle of this government talk, it, it does say, love the brothers and sisters. Why, why is that thrown in the middle, middle of this? 
It's because of all the ways that we honor people, we reserve special affection for each other, for the brotherhood of believers. That kind of closeness that we can establish with each other is especially critical on days when our emperor, so to speak, is not so supportive, or when our culture is growing in hostility. There's going to be times when we really need each other very much as we keep walking forward and we keep living out this submission. So how would you survive if your country gets hijacked? How would you survive if someone climbed aboard the government and is steering it into the side of a mountain? We just might experience a new kind of suffering if that happens. Suffering is never fun, but the gospel places it in a brand new story. This really, this captures the new storyline. Our suffering is a witness to Jesus. If we're persecuted, we've been given a golden opportunity to put Jesus on display. We can really elevate Jesus in the mind of an unbeliever if we respond to suffering by overflowing with good deeds and honorable conduct. Responding with violent resistance accomplishes nothing. And if, if we were violent in our resistance, it, it actually betrays the teaching of Jesus, who told us to love our enemies. I will mention this, though. There was one time when Peter didn't submit to the authorities, found in the book of Acts. It's when the highest-ranking Jewish officials ordered him and John to stop testifying to the truth about Jesus. It says in Acts 4, um, the high priests and elders called for them, Peter and John, and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we're unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Stop talking about Jesus? That's one order we can't follow. But for everything else, Peter learned to submit and follow even the really difficult and ungodly leaders. And no matter what, they didn't fight aggressively. Throughout the book of Acts, they, they took a beating for it. They accepted imprisonment and persecution gladly. So Peter was no longer the violent swordsman. He was clear on his mission to testify to the truth about Jesus. And then Jesus himself spoke about this very clearly just before his crucifixion. Um, John 18, it says, Peter, Peter tells Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. And uh, Peter almost messed that one up. <laughs> that was close call, Peter. Peter, uh, he did try to stop Jesus from being handed over to the Jews. That was the whole ear cutting off thing. So Peter's first response in all of this was to fight back. Sometimes our first response when we're treated wrongly is to fight back. But Jesus says, as it is, my kingdom is not from here. I was born for this, and I have come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So, we should not be on a violent campaign to make Jesus the President of the United States. <laughs> we can't force every American into being Christian. Jesus said, my kingdom is not from here. It's a lot bigger than the U.S., actually. So we Christians, we're on the earth right now to make, not to make Jesus the ruler of our government, but to testify to the truth about who Jesus is. 
really to let his love shine through our lives. And that just might happen through the suffering of some of the worst case scenarios. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your, your word here today. And uh, there's, there's some tough stuff in this letter that you, as you've given to us through Peter and his writings. Pray that you'd help us to identify some clear areas where we can apply this, um, how we can apply this attitude of submission to the human authorities, because we know that ultimately you've established each one in their place. I pray, Lord, that you would use our church and the Christians in this church to put Jesus on display in a bright and powerful way in our city, that people would take notice of God and of what Jesus has done because of their interactions and their dealings with us. Jesus, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.